This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3447 for Tuesday, the 19th of October 2021. Today's show is entitled Black Kernel's Journey into Technology, Episode 2. It is hosted by Black Kernel and is about 21 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is in which Black Kernel struggles to talk about Windows. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Welcome to Hacker Public Radio. My name is Black Colonel or Izzy Leibowitz. And this is the second episode of my Journey into Technology series. I really didn't want to record this episode because it's about when I used Windows and I hate it. But, you know, this, this has to go in chronological order and so that's where we're at. Um, so... Where we left off, left off less. Where we left off last time, was that I had just gotten my very first computer, and it was a desktop computer. I got a monitor for it. It was a one of those plasma monitors, VGA, all that, and it had on it Windows XP. I was really excited because, even though it ran like barely at all. Uh, it was mine, and I was able to do whatever I wanted with it. And that meant that I could customize it in whatever way I chose. I could just sort of mess with the computer. So before this, as you might know from the last episode, I was introduced to a lot of the concepts of sort of low-level programming, like with assembly code and that sort of thing. And so I knew a lot of that, like, the computer is supposed to do what you're told told to do, and you can customize, you can really get sort of into the weeds as far as the computer is concerned. I mean, one of the stories that my dad told me about when he was using a mini-computer, which was the ones that were the size of, like, a wardrobe or a closet, um, was that they would have these big cassette cartridges that they would put into it, and one of his colleagues at the college that he was at made a computer program that made the physical wardrobe-sized computer sound like a washing machine, where it would go through the rinse cycle, the spin cycle, and all of that stuff, and it would, like, actually make the computer physically move and shake because of it was basically operating the reels at a certain frequency. It was basically running code in order to do that. And that sort of thing has always been really interesting to me. Um, but being able to sort of customize and get into, the, like, the computer will do what you tell it to do if you tell it to do the thing was the thing that really interested me about computers. Now, Windows wasn't 
the worst for this, so, so I'm told. Although, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of... I mean, they're... they're it, it's kind of a tie between Windows and, and Mac, really. But... The thing that it was, was that on Windows, there's a lot of these freeware apps, or these sort of hacky, buggy code that people write for Windows, and then they release it onto the internet. Stuff like... Stuff like AutoHotKey. That's what I was trying to think of. AutoHotKey is a... I mean, it's a necessary and very featureful application, but if you've ever used AutoHotKey, it looks like it came... It, it does not work terribly well. It is not integrated at all with Windows, the Windows operating system, etc. etc. I, I need to get back into the, the mindset of where I was at the time, because this wasn't what I was thinking about at the time. What I was thinking about at the time was that all of these applications were really cool, because they let me customize my computer, and I downloaded a bunch of them, and I was able to use the command line on Windows, the command prompt, as it's called, which was based on DOS and not Unix. So you had, like, DIR for directory instead of LS for list directory, um, etc., etc. And I used a lot of that sort of command line interface because that's what my dad was used to. That's kind of how I understood was the direct feed into the computer, as it were. And so I wanted to sort of get into that. Um, I did a very light foray into batch scripting. That's a Bravo Alpha Tango Charlie Hotel. That's how you spell batch, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, but batch scripting, unlike bash scripting, well, it's, they're sort of similar, but it's batch scripting was a lot... I'm getting back into my modern mindset. Uh, at the time, I thought it was really cool because it let me write all of the commands that you could do on the command line without having to write them out every time in much the same way as you would do on a bash script on Linux. Ugh, I can feel my soul slowly draining out of my body as I talk about this operating system. I really, really don't like Windows, because a lot of it has to do with the reason why I switched away. So, But I, I need to go through it, because it's what happened. So, so, what I was getting on this was I wanted to... I was really inspired by the movie... Independence Day. There was a scene in that movie where the sort of the scientist had a computer that when he booted it up said, good morning, Dave, and it had a HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey. It has, had the glowing eye on there, and I thought that was really cool, and I wanted to sort of get that sort of aesthetic on my computer. So I got, there was a freeware app that I was able to get that would modify your boot logo, and I got that on it. I was able to modify my start menu. I was able to move around a lot of the theming for, for Windows, and I was messing around with batch scripting and all that st kind of stuff on the command line, and I was really getting into sort of like the nitty-gritty of it. Like, in order to do the boot logo, one of the things that you needed to do was you needed to put the path for the boot logo into the Windows registry file, which is all of the sort of kernel-level configuration files for Windows. Um, but 
this is sort of where we get into the problems that I was having. Now, there's a big difference between modularity and integration. This is something that's very sort of key to this whole reason why I hate Windows. Modularity is where you have a lot of different pieces that are all independent and can feed into one another. That's modularity. That is the Unix philosophy, as it were. That's sort of the stuff that I that I like. Integration is where you have things which interdepend on one another, and you end up in this tree of dependencies where it's only as strong as the weakest link. Like with a with a modular system, if one of the links breaks, you can replace it with an equivalent link and be fine because the rest of it works. In an integrated system, if one of the links breaks, you have to throw out the entire system because all of the rest of the system depends on everything else being what it expects it to be. Windows is a highly integrated system in that all of the pieces are very closely woven together, and a lot of that has to do with the way that the anti-kernel is designed, and a lot of that has to do with the way that sort of the DOS structure works. It's one of the reasons why I'm not really thrilled about KDE as a desktop environment as well, is because it also has that kind of integration where, I mean, GNOME does the same thing, so I, I, I generally use XFCE or Flexbox, I'm in, or a uh, tiling window manager like DWM or something like that, because I, I genuinely get very annoyed at integration, or at least nervous about integration, because when things start interdepending on one another, things start getting a little bit messy. I know that a lot of that I'll, I'll interdepend that interdependence is important for programming because you don't want to have to rewrite the code all the time. You don't want to have these statically linked files, which are gigantic and stuff like that. But a happy medium is sort of what I'm trying to strike. And as far as Windows is concerned, that it is it does not exist. So that was sort of the first thing that I noticed was that because of the inter the, the highly integrated nature of Windows, um, whenever the boot logo script or the startup sound script that I had, whenever those would fail, which they would do fairly often because all of these are sort of freeware apps that have to reverse engineer the way that the Windows boot sequence works, and it's not really, uh, it's not really a foolproof plan because a Windows update could just totally ruin how it works because it's closed source and they, they don't know how it works. They're just kind of guessing and at this and checking their work, reverse engineering it. Um, but when that would happen, sometimes it would crash my computer because it couldn't find the boot image and it didn't know how to proceed with the boot sequence after that point. I would get into a boot loop, after reboot into safe mode, all of that kind of stuff. After uh, change the Windows registry in order to be pointing back to the default boot image, all of that kind of nonsense, and then yeah, um, so that was sort of the first inkling of like maybe this operating system isn't as good as you want it to be. But I had no idea about other operating systems at all. I honestly don't even think I'd heard of Mac at this point at all. I only knew that there were Windows computers. Those were with the operating system. I knew about DOS. I knew about computers without operating systems, but I didn't know about other operating systems, really. 
and I wasn't really into, I mean, I, I guess I'll get into that. Um, cause the next stage of this whole debacle was I wanted to learn how to program because I wanted to be able to tell my computer what to do. And I feel like that's sort of the main thing that you need to be able to have a computer do is just like what you tell it. You want to be able to put input into the computer and get output out of the computer. And I could have done that. Like batch scripting is kind of that, but not really. I wanted to compile things. I wanted to do programming. And on Windows, it is a pain to get working. Like Visual Basic exists, and I know that there's some way, there's some kind of C compiler that you can get. But all these were talking about having to cost money, and because I already knew about assembly, I knew that it was just like essentially a text file. I mean, I mean, it kind of is. It's just a text file of some description. I mean, a, even a machine code file or a binary executable. It's just. At the end of the day, it's just ones and zeros. It can be represented with text. So there was no way that it was, like, it would cost money. It's all just information, right? It, and, I mean, I wasn't really into free software or anything at this point. I just was the programming languages. I could not comprehend why I would have to pay for a compiler. That just didn't compute for me at all because... The, the languages are, it's just text. It's like saying that you would have to pay the Académie Française, for example, to learn French. That, that was kind of what it would feel like to me, and it just did not make any sense. At this time, I, by the way, I wasn't even into free software. I wasn't even into the concept of open source. I was a staunch Hobbesian. <laughs> uh, so I thought that, like, human nature was evil and that humans required authoritarian government in order to keep them from murdering each other. That that sort of Hobbesian idea. So I was very statist and very not free and open source anything really at this time. Or at least I thought I was. I was only like what, nine or something? Less than nine at the time because nine is sort of when I got into to Linux. So I must have been like eight or seven but, um, I found this project called Sigwin online, and Sigwin was sort of what let me find a compiler that worked on Windows. I mean, I, I tried to install interpreted languages like Python and Ruby, but those were really weird and very complicated to get set up, because on Ruby, I know you needed to install the MSI, the, the Microsoft installation thing, and you had to go through the wizard to install the program like you do on Windows. But then in addition to that, you had to edit some registry files to point to, basically, to what you would do to edit your path in Linux. But it's a very much more complicated process on Windows to do something like that so that it knows that the program actually exists. And then you can start programming in Ruby. And it was just... It was a weird system. I mean, this was... I, I th I'm, I'm pretty sure it's gotten a lot better since then, as far as the inter I mean, I know it has, because you have the Windows subsystem for Linux, which, why would you use anything else? Um, but anyway, the Sigwin project let you have a... Now, it, it it's not Linux on Windows, and it makes that very clear, although that's... I'll get into that in a second. Um, 
But what it does is it allows you to utilize the DLL shared libraries and the Windows environment in order to create sort of a Unix sub-environment. Like you have a, a Unix subshell within your Windows shell. It's, it's basically the Windows subsystem for Linux. Except not really, because you on the Windows subsystem for Linux, you have an actual Linux kernel, and you're sort of booting it into a what is essentially... I understand that it is not actually, but it is essentially a container that you are running inside of Windows. Um, whereas Sigwin isn't even any of that. It's running on Windows. It's a Windows application, and you're using Windows libraries to do Windows things just in a Unix way. And this was how I was able to get GCC. This was how I was able to get started learning about C and C++ and all of this, but it was a very weird experience because you kind of had this window into another world, but you didn't get to actually like live in it. And it was one of those things where I, I had all this customization and configurability and compilability within this Sigwin environment, but I couldn't get my boot logo to to be what I wanted it to be without crashing my computer. And that seemed very weird to me, and I didn't like it very much. And that was sort of... Because on Sigwin, it makes such a big deal about it not being Linux. That kind of made me think, okay, well, what is this Linux thing? And that's sort of what got me down the road into learning about what Linux was and sort of wanting to actually get into Linux. And that's what I'm going to talk about next time. So this is going to be around when I was about nine years old. And the first Linux distribution that I ever used, because I had heard around at the time on the... I, I was not on IRC yet, but I think I was on AOL Instant Messenger and a couple of other places trying to find out, like, some webmaster forums, those types of things, trying to find out information about programming. And a lot of people were... Well, not actually a lot of people... Not on the forums I was at, no one was really super suggesting Linux, but when I was looking up stuff about Linux on Linux-based forums and all that kind of stuff, uh, people were talking about how Ubuntu was sort of the beginner-friendly one, but that at the time, which is around 2005, 2006, it was getting bloated was a big thing that people were talking about, and it was being overly complicated and not ideal for new users, and that... Then there there was this new project that people were talking about called Linux Mint that was coming out. And that's going to be sort of the thing to introduce to new users. And I decided, in my infinite wisdom, to install it the very first day that I could find an actual release ISO, like beta, beta software type stuff. I didn't know what any of that meant. I, I just knew that the instructions said... Uh, burn it, burn it onto a CD. Put the CD into your computer. Hold down the, get into the BIOS, change the boot order. I knew how to do all of that stuff just because I I looked around in the BIOS before this, and I understood what the BIOS was because the basic input output system. It, it was something that my my dad had gone over when we were talking about um when we were talking about assembly because it's the thing that happens before your operating system happens. Um, and all that kind of stuff. So all that was pretty easy for me to do, and then I would be able to boot into Linux Mint and run the installer, and etc. So it, it, because it was based on Ubuntu, it had an installer and everything, and I didn't really see anything wrong with it at the time, but I'm getting way... I'm, 
It's funny, when I was talking about Windows, I couldn't wait to stop, but now I, now that I'm talking about Linux, I just want to keep going. But I don't want to make this go into the next episode, so I'm going to cut it off here. Next time I'm going to be talking more about Linux Mint and sort of my experience with using beta, beta operating system and all of the fun that comes with hardware compatibility and all of that. Um, but I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.